This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on the phone this time, it is living a color singer, Corey Glover. And he has got an incredible amount of projects coming up that he's going to uh, to tell you about. We also talk about mental health. The band recently played a show to benefit mental health awareness. And given the fact that the last episode I put up with Alan Niven and Ginger Wildheart both detailing their most recent suicide attempts and what needs to be done with mental health. Uh, it was an apropos conversation with uh, Corey. And if you haven't checked out that uh, episode with Alan and um, and Ginger, please do. I-, I thought it was compelling, compelling radio. And I have to say, I'm a little surprised that mainstream media, the, the different rock sites and stuff, didn't pick up that interview. You-, you would think that the former manager of Guns N' Roses and Great White and the lead singer of one of the UK's greatest bands, The Wild Heart, detail how they attempted suicide and try to bring awareness to an issue, just got completely ignored. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat shocked by that, uh, to be perfectly frank. Um, anyway, whatever. It is what it is. But you did get to hear the content here. So, um, you know, there it is. Uh, and, and of course, folks, if if there's anybody out there struggling with anything, do do reach out to to someone and and have a chat and have a conversation. Check into a facility, whatever it takes. And I will say it again: if by any chance reaching out to me to say, "Hey, Mitch, I'm not feeling well," and me writing back saying, "You know, uh, stay strong" or whatever, if that helps, by all means, uh, email me at Mitch. Minute at AOL.com, Mitch Minute at AOL.com. It'll be my pleasure to to write back. Now, that said, I am not a medical professional, so anything I say, you know, other than words of encouragement is not medical advice. So if, if there's something going on, do do seek the proper avenues of, of treatment. Anyway, um, recently, Deadland Ritual, the band featuring Matt Sorum, Geezer Butler, Frankie Perez, and recent guest on the show, Steve Stevens, played um, the Sweden Rock Festival in, guess where? Sweden. It's convenient, right, to, to put Sweden in Sweden? Anyway, their uh, their set list included a bunch of Black Sabbath uh, covers, including Symptom of the Universe, Neon Nights, Sweet Leaf. They also covered the uh, Velvet Revolver track, Slither, which, by the way, everybody seems to be covering Slither these days. Um, Slash has been doing it uh, during his solo shows. Guns N' Roses has been doing it. And now Deadland Ritual. That that song is more popular than when Velvet Revolver actually recorded it. And, of course, uh, Deadland Ritual played the Billy Idol classic Rebel Yell, because why not? And if you haven't checked out the uh, Steve Stevens interview, do so. Uh, compelling, compelling chat with Steve, and they are on tour with uh, Brian Adams, or Billy Idol, I should say. Billy Idol and uh, Brian Adams are on tour in August, and yes, it's eight select dates, and I've had a few folks uh, say, that's not a tour. Hey, listen, it's tour-like. All right, let's just go with that. Either way, it is going to be a fantastic evening of uh, rock and roll, but, uh, you know, um, I will at some point um, get a co-host to to have these uh, rock talks and chats with. As you know, Alan is, um, well, recovering from his uh, recent suicide attempt, and uh, I wish him the best with that. And, of course, whenever he is ready to to take on the uh, task 
full force of being co-host again. It'll be my absolute, absolute pleasure to have him back. So let's all just wish Alan well. Let's wish uh, Ginger Wildheart well. And of course, if you haven't checked out their new album, Renaissance Men, do so. It is a delightful slice of rock and roll. And yes, I use the word delightful again. I, I probably shouldn't use the word delightful as a rock reporter. Rock is not supposed to be delightful, nor terrific, nor fantastic. But those are the words I like. That's that's my vocabulary. So there you go. Um, so here, le voici the one, the only, Corey Glover. We are speaking with Corey Glover of Living Color. Corey, an absolute, absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Well, it's good to talk to you too, Mitch. Yeah, it's been, it's been I think, about a year, year and a half. In fact, it was for the Shade album, which was 2017. So it's maybe been two right. years since we last spoke. So... So let's start with the let's start with that, and then we'll sort of work our way back in the history. Um, okay. Yeah, talk to me about uh, making new music, and you know, when, when you're a band with twenty, thirty years of existence and of being around, it's easy to throw your name up on the marquee and just go do the fifteen best hits, seventy-five minutes set, nice and clean. Um, talk to me about having made shade, but also what does that mean for 2019 and 2020 in terms of new living color music? Well, um, making shade, uh, the living color in, its, in and of itself takes a long time to make albums. Uh, that, that reason alone gives us, we have to know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because the process is a long one, um, sometimes laborious, sometimes a lot of fun, but it, it's, a it's a necessity for us to, to, to try to be as meticulous as we possibly can. So the last record, Shade, uh, came out of a discussion about what we want to do, what we want to talk about. It's like, you know, the roots of what we do in terms of what we're, anything that we do, whether it's hard rock, metal, jazz, uh, electronic music, funk, any of the, any and all that stuff that, that basically encompasses living color came from the blues. Now, um, the idea was to sort of deconstruct the blue, the blues as living color would do it. Um, with the elements that we have, including the blues, to make a specifically blues-driven kind of rec record. And that was our attempt. That's what Shade was. Now, in terms of the second question that you asked about going, putting the name up on the marquee and playing 75 minutes, we don't just play 75 minutes of the hit. We try to, to you know, each performance is an opportunity for us to really stretch out what it is that we do. Um, to really sort of test the limits of our artistry. I don't think we go into any show thinking, oh, just, we'll just phone it in today. That's the worst show you'll ever see if we ever decide to do that. Unfortunately for us and an audience, we, we are more challenged by each other and the audience than we are by anything else. So we find ourselves really trying to make a new sort of expression every time we hit the stage. 
And, but there are bands, though, what we call heritage acts, that just go out there and they give you 75 minutes. It's very sort of robotic and it's like, huh. And, you know, I'm glad that Living Color doesn't do that. Let me go back here to the beginning in, in 88 when, when Vivid came out. How did the record companies deal with you and how did the MTV deal with you? Were you just another rock band in that pile with the Motley Crues and the Def Leppards and it was just loud guitars and, and, and screaming vocals and off you go? Or was there a a difference to be accepted? Did Did... did media embrace you right away and did record companies embrace you or did they look at you and say okay he's got a a body glove suit on it is uh and and i say it just not but it's a black band did that play into the equation did they look at you and differently than everybody else or were you just a rock band is a rock band is a rock band well our uh, what we wanted was to be treated like everybody else but there was there is obviously a difference not just in the fact that there were these are four people of color playing this music i think the way that we approached the music was very different than than the landscape that was there at the time it wasn't very different to us but it was very different to the let's say the above ground sort of uh aesthetic so there was this idea that soul, jazz, primarily music of people of particular stripe uh, stayed in one lane and hard rock and metal stayed in, in, in the exact opposition to that. So the mixing of the two ideas um, was in and of its time revolutionary that we knew of bands that were doing that and had been doing that for a very long time but to people that did that weren't sort of watching and 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 paying close attention to it they did not know that it existed so when people came along and heard it and heard that it had yeah it was a rock band and like you were saying it has a lot loud blaring guitars and um, it's bombastic and, and, and so on and so forth. What they really heard was the other subtleties that were mixed into that idea. So they heard the tinges, tinges of, of jazz and jazz fusion. They heard the tinges of gospel and soul and R&B. They heard the tinges of nativist and African sort of influenced and Brazilian influenced and Latin American influenced rhythms in there. And that was something not very, not done very often. And I think that we gave a breath. I think we and people of our ilk gave the music new life, breathe new life into it. I fully agree, and I'll tell you why I asked that question. It's because whenever I see a list of best guitarists, there's always, you know, there's Eddie and there's Jimmy and there's this and that, and then they say, well, there's also these best female guitarists, and I, I'm, it, it always bothers me that the female guitarists aren't on the same list as the male guitarists. Why, why do we still, in this day and age, have two lists where you say, oh, Jennifer Batten is a great 
female guitarist, and Nita Strauss is right. a great female guitarist. No, Nita Strauss is a great guitarist. Period. And so exactly right. And and do do you st- you don't find that anymore though? I mean, in terms of living color, the way oh, record oh. companies and stuff treat with you now, there's no. Well, they're a great rock band, you know, right? Well, it, no, I I, I I regretfully have to disagree because there is a there is a melding and, and without how, without getting too deep in the woods of it, you know, the idea of a record company is sort of anathema now. And uh, but if you listen to terrestrial radio, satellite radio, any kind of if you if you look at the at at the charts as they stand right now, there's still a separation. It's a rare thing to hear about a rock band, which is sort of again we're talking about something that really isn't, which is becoming less and less mainstream. I think. Yeah. You'll hear about. Um, you'll hear about rappers that happen to be white you'll hear about female rappers that are phenomenal and and, and are doing their thing but there's always somebody having to point out these these ideas yeah, and it was always somebody that, was, was always that says, well she's great for a female rapper what's that mean is he a good rapper is she, isn't she a good rapper period right He's, you know, pretty fly for a white guy. What does that mean? You know, there's still, there's still strata of people say, isn't it, what were you trying to do by playing rock music? Like, we weren't trying to do anything. Rock music is a part of our DNA. And as much as the blues is a part of the DNA of rock music, which is a part of the DNA of every other music that you know about. So we're not changing anything we're evolving something and when it comes to the idea of what is good and what is bad even those ideas have to be really tossed aside i think like you say there's no good guitar player and a good female guitar player they're just guitar players and what they do is what they do it doesn't mean um and suggesting that something is good or bad is a matter of someone's taste. You know what I mean? I don't think that you can judge that because there's some people who like music that other people don't like. I know that there are bands that, that, that get nothing but trouble because nobody is, it's the, it's the trendy thing to say you don't like them. I don't want to mention the band's name because I don't want to. I don't want to get into it with anybody. But um, oh, well, listen. To, I'm in Canada, and and we hear it all the time that well, you can't like Nickelback, and you can't, and it's like, well, yeah, of course you can. Right. And and the arenas, the arenas that they're playing, belies all this nonsense about oh they suck. And no, they don't. They're playing to twenty thousand right. people a night. So shut up. You know? <laughs> you know. Right. Exactly. I mean, how bad could it be? It you know. They said that they said the same thing about the Beatles at a certain point. Oh, they're just too commercial. They said it about they say, they'll say about anybody, but a it's this is their livelihood, and b it's the music that comes out of them. It's the it's the expression they see that they feel coming up out of their souls, 
and out into the public. So for you to say that it sucks is presumptuous, mean-spirited, and quite frankly, it's idiotic. Well, it means nothing. Uh, listen, I my stance as a rock reporter is to celebrate all music. And there right. are bands that I interview that I don't like. But I, right. I, but the fans never know it because the fans that are listening to that interview are fans of the band and they want to hear something where that band is being uh, celebrated and talked about nicely. And and that whole thing about a band sucks, I don't understand it. Listen, there, uh, for example, and, and I mean no disrespect, but I, I don't like Bjork as an artist. But if somebody says mm. to me they're a Bjork fan, I'm like, good for you. Because it takes right. diversity. The fact that I like Kiss and I like Living Color and I like whatever right. doesn't mean that I have the right to say that your tastes suck. If you enjoy it and it brings you happiness, more power to you. But on the same Absolutely. token, don't tell me Kiss sucks because it brings joy to me. So let's let's just let's just celebrate that. Now, I do want to ask you, I'm going to move off of that for a second, but since you were talking about diversity and all these different things... I want to look back to an album that's, I guess, 21 years old now. Your solo yeah. album, Hymns. Right. First of all, what was sort of the genesis of that? Because, you know, you were, you were in this moment where, you know, Living Color had uh, success and you could have certainly done more with the band and gone on tour with the band. And Where did it sort of come about where you said, OK, I want to step aside. I want to do my own thing and I want to take this, this sort of different musical direction and then also the second part would be looking back on it, you know, past the 20th anniversary. Look back with great pride. Look back with, oh, I should have fixed this. I should have. How do you sort of take that album in, you know, 21 years later? I'm very, very proud of that record. I'm very proud of the accomplishment of just getting it out there because that in and of itself was a, was a task. <laughs> um but I am, I'd wished that it got more attention than it did, quite frankly, because there's some really good stuff on there. Um, and I think that, that had people actually heard it, it'd be good. I still play when I go out with my own band. I still play that music and I'm very, very, uh, I enjoy doing it so much. Because it's, it, it, it reminds me of a time uh, when I worked on something that was, you know, really, really emotional for me. Very, very personal. That record is a very personal sort of time capsule of that time. And what I found was that those feelings that I had didn't just, they lasted longer than I thought they should have. And, and I'm not, and not to say that I'm, I'm upset that, they, that I still have these feelings, but I enjoy reminiscing and sort of finding the now in that music. Is it more difficult or is it more rewarding to work on an album like Hymns, which is super personal rather than, you know, the record company says, okay, Vivid came out, it was a hit, let's get back in there, let's do the next one. Uh, is a different experience for you when you record that an album like hymns well hymns although very collaborative was was my vision 
um, and my idea of what I wanted to say. Whereas Living Color is a, co- is a collective and the results are collective. So, I, you know, I have to think about, we all have, when I'm working on a Living Color record, we all have to think about what we're trying to say and what we're trying to say musically. Whereas Hymns was not that. It was that me thinking about what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. So, trying to deal with uh, record companies. Um, the record companies that, that we've dealt with over the past several decades have given us a lot of leeway, which is which is very I'm very grateful for. They gave uh, I should say yeah they they gave us as much uh, personal freedom to do what we thought was best. Um, so we were not we weren't hindered by let's make the next hit. Good. Because that, that, you know, I, I spoke to a friend of mine was Doug Feger from The Knack, and, and he always told me that my Sharona was this golden albatross around his neck that had paid for the pool and it paid for the car and it paid for the house. But every time he made new music and brought it to the record company, they would say, yeah, we don't hear another my Sharona. Could you go try again? And he found that incredibly, incredibly frustrating that he could just never get out from under the success of that song. So, um, lots oh, of, it's not to say that we, we, you know, everybody kept asking, you know, there's nothing like Colt's personality. When you get to another one, Colt's personality was a moment in time. Fortunately, it, it's lasted for a very long time for us, but we've had people ask, why don't you make another Colt's personality? Because then we'd be going backwards and, you know, we don't move backwards. Most people, most things don't move backwards. No, and that, by the way, such an incredibly great song here. I'm going to ask you a few, a few other things because uh, I've got about 15 more minutes before I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. Unfortunately, but um, right. you are releasing a solo single this summer called "Original Sin." Um, yeah. is, is that just a solo single, or is that a single from an album that is coming? And and are we suggesting solo shows coming up? What, what does that say? to the fan going forward in 2019? Oh, yeah, we're going to definitely uh, go out and play. Um, I'm going to definitely go out and play some of this new music. Some, well, it's not. Original Sin is actually not very new, but it's, uh, it is new to everybody else. Um, but we will be definitely going out to play it. Um, eventually, um, when I have the time, I will be definitely writing and recording a new album. Um, don't know when, uh, but soon, I'm sure. All right, I'm, I'm going to move. I'm, I'm, we're going to do this rapid fire. It'll be like uh, Jeopardy or something here. We'll have a rapid right, fire go. round. But um, on June 7th, you are playing a mm-hmm. show for Charlotte Cares about mental health. And the episode that I posted... Uh, this week on iHeart and stuff was me talking to Ginger Wildheart of the Wildhearts and Alan Niven, manager of Guns N' Roses, talking about their recent suicide attempts. In the you know in the last six months, they both attempted suicide, and and we had this long hour discussion about mental health. Um, talk to me about sort of living colors or your involvement. Is it just we do this one show and off we go, or? Do you do you have a larger engagement and a larger discussion uh, within the band and and within your fans about how to reach out and how to get help and 
What's sort of your stance on that? Well, part of our history, um, we had a song on our first record called Middleman. Uh, the story of Middleman is that this was a, something I wrote when I was in my early 20s that was intended to be a suicide note. That when they found me, this is the note that they had found. And that my feelings at the time were one of being just despondent and that my life was going nowhere and that I felt as though I was going nowhere fast and that no one understood it. No one understood that I was, I felt like I felt adrift that I could listen to and hear other people and their particular problems and ideas and, and feelings about certain things that I didn't think I was being listened to. And that, so what's the point of me being around? If all I'm going to do, all I'm going to ultimately be is a middleman. And as I'm writing this sort of, this, this thing, I get, I get the idea that being in the middle is not so bad, that being where I am is more important than being where I want to be. And in, in, in writing that, I sort of pulled myself out of my own head and pulled myself out of the idea that being, that this wasn't worth it. So there's a, so, and I've discussed this on other, other occasions, but the, the fact that there is, there are organizations and there are places for people to go to find those, find that place, to find that idea that you're worth it in any and all regards was the impetus for us to do this show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, it is important, and 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 I don't want to be self whatever, but for folks who haven't heard it, go, do do check out the 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 interviews with with Alan and Ginger talking about their their recent experience. Um, not to sound crass, but to 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 move along, Ultraphonics, uh, the project you did with George Lynch and Chris Moore and Poncho mm-hmm. Tomaselli for the back. Yeah. Um. Is that was that a one off? And if not, where do we see that going? And and sort of how did that come together? And 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 I don't know why this comes to mind, but when I see George Lynch and Corey Glover working together, it just for me the guys from Dawkins working with the guys from it 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 I was like, oh okay, that's interesting. It was confusing, but but then I thought, well, why, why should it be confusing? It's a great guitarist with a great singer. What the hell's you know? Uh, but but right, <laughs> right. But at first, I just went, oh, that's a weird combination. But it's not. It's it's a great guitarist with a great singer. Um, how did that come about? And is that a, another one of these projects where you've done it and it was fun? And or is it a band that is going to have a future? That's difficult to say, to be honest. Um, it's it, it, in telling it, it, in us doing it. The idea was that this was going to be a band, that this was going to be 
an ongoing thing that we were going to be doing this on a regular basis. That has not happened. And quite frankly, I am very disappointed that it has not happened and that it isn't happening because that was a really, really good record. And it was a lot of, a lot of work that was really, it was really good work, really, really good work. And I think it deserved people to hear it and experience it live, but it's hard to say that it's going to happen. So, um, I would, I really want it to happen. I really would like it to happen, but as it, as it stands now, it doesn't seem to be happening that well. Eh, that's, that's, that, that's a shame because it really, it was, it was, is the word experimental? I don't want to say, it, but it really was a different sort of album and, and it was, it was, it was great. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at the time for folks that don't know, I have to run off and, and get my daughter, but, uh, real quick, uh, celebrating Bowie. Uh, yeah, that is, well, I'm going to say monumental. It, it was something you, you came to Montreal, I believe it was early 2018 or was it 2019? Uh, you came to mm-hmm. Montreal, you played the M Telus. It, it was a huge show. Uh, just talk to me about a, as a fan, because I, I know you're a music fan, as a fan, to, to be out there and to do these Bowie songs and bring them to life and to have a chance to put your voice where his voice should be, what was that experience like for you? And do we see you do more of these in the future? I would like to think that we're going to do more of that. Um, it was a complete honor and privilege to be surrounded by these people. Um, that these are people who actually played with and wrote with David Bowie, that Mike Garson and Carmine Rojas and Earl Slick and Mike Plotty. And these were the people who backed Bowie up and to be a part of that was incredible and amazing. And the shows were just ridiculous. They were so good. It was just so good to do. So I'd love to do more of it. Vocally, though, was it challenging for you? Because, you know, one, one well, of the great things about vocalists is they're, they're, they have their own signature sound. When you hear Steven Tyler or when you hear Steven Piercy or if you hear you, no, nobody else can be you. Um, what was it like to be Bowie's voice, though, and, and get into that and, and make it sound? Or, or, in fact, were you trying to make it sound as Bowie or were you just saying, no, this is Corey doing this? Well, I wasn't trying to be David Bowie. No one can be David Bowie but David Bowie. Um, But I was trying my best to work with the band and sort of be a part of the band. Um, The challenge in doing David Bowie music is that he has a breadth of... He has such such a musical sort of... um, Spread that it's it, it. There's a lot of he goes from you know the Tin Pan Alley kind of stuff to sweeping epics to to quasi jazz sort of things. So there's a lot of things going on with that, and it was it was the challenge was really trying to honor what that was. 
And it, it, it celebrated perfectly. Now, I, I see, unfortunately, folks, this time it's not Corey that has to go. It's me that has that has to go. But uh, there's so much more to mention. There's the uh, upcoming project with Mike Orlando of Adrenaline Mob, uh, Disciples yeah. of Verity. Uh, a quick comment on those. Uh, when do we see? Well, the, the, the what's it called? The uh, project with Mike Orlando comes out September 4th, I believe. Yes, I'm playing with him in September uh, in New York City. Um, the Disciples, uh, we are working on doing some shows pretty soon. And I'm also working on doing some solo shows with my own work. So it's going to be a, there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of stuff in the hopper. You have to, to keep, just have to tune in to find out when and where it's all happening. You can check my Instagram page. You can check. Just check the the overall internet and put my name in, and you'll see what's going on. We will. And and what's amazing is that when I set up the interview, I wanted to really get into the the sort of thirty years of of vivid because you're doing those those shows in South America and you've done shows all across the globe. And I was going to ask you how important Vernon Reed is to the sound of Living Color, but uh, you know what? We will keep that for for a part two. But just an absolute absolute pleasure. I know we had some uh, difficulty connecting, but we have now, and I, all I can say is thank you, and I have to say, when I first saw that video for Cult of Personality, I was hooked, because that was, you, what, what fans might not understand, or fans who were there, you were getting fed all this hair metal, hair metal, hair metal, and then, and, and eventually just became cookie cutter sound, and then there was this sort of a sonic dissonance with cult of personality and it was just so refreshing it was like oh thank god something fresh right you know and uh thank you for that and uh thank you for today well thank you mitch absolute pleasure and let's let's do a part two definitely you're listening to rock talk with mitch lafon rock talk 